I'm so glad that you joined us. I want you to think about at school or your job or at home, just get one of those no good, very bad days. Can you think of one of those? Like one of those recently, some of you are like, it was yesterday. I hope it's not today. Um, but I want you to think about one of those no good, very bad days. And I want to share with you that I'm guessing that it wasn't as bad as this construction worker who put this on his HR incident report, according to author Michael Green. He tells this story. He says, the hard hat wearing construction workers, no good, very bad day was recorded in this HR incident report. I guess I already said that, sorry. Uh, when I got to the building, I found that the hurricane had knocked off some bricks around the top of the building. So I ribbed, rigged up a beam with a pulley at the top of the building and hoisted up a couple of barrels full of bricks. When I had fixed the damaged area, there were a lot of bricks left over, so I went to the bottom and began releasing the line. Unfortunately, the this is like understatement of the year. Unfortunately, the barrel of bricks was much heavier than I was, and before I knew what was happening, the barrel started coming down, jerking me up. And so I decided to hang on since it was too far off the ground by then to jump. And halfway up to the top, I met the barrel of bricks coming down fast. I received a hard blow on my shoulder, and then I continued on to the top, banging my head against the beam that I had hung up earlier and getting my fingers pinched and jammed in the pulley. When the barrel hit the ground hard, it burst its bottom, allowing the bricks to spill out. Are you guys seeing this in your minds? All right, so the, allowing the bricks to spill out, I was now heavier than the barrel, so I started down again at a high speed. Halfway down, I met the barrel coming up fast and um, re received severe injuries to my shins. Uh, is it wrong to laugh at this? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, when I hit the ground, I landed on the pile of spilled bricks, getting several painful cuts and deep bruises. At this point, I might have lost my presence of mind because I let go of my grip on the line. The barrel came down fast, giving me another blow on my head and putting me in the hospital. Therefore, I respectfully request sick leave. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> You know, we, we have been going through this book of Job, and we've been talking about suffering. And, and I don't want to make light of, of the reality of suffering. I think that for many in this room, you've experienced really, truly some no good, very bad days. I know in this room, some of us have heard the word cancer and a diagnosis that's been devastating. For some of us, we've, we've had jobs that were really valuable to us, that that, that we found out that there were just, it just was moments after we had celebrated the goodness of the provision of those that we've lost. And Allie and I have this story uh, that we tell, and I'm sorry I've told this before, but we were in our car and we were driving and we had had these um, windshield wipers on our car for a long time. It was like three months or something like that. And I just looked over at her. We we're in one of those kind of tight knuckle you know, road, it was raining really hard. And I looked over at Allie while I'm driving and I said, honey, I just love these windshield wipers. And then as the word came off my lips, one of them just fell off. It just completely flew off. And so there's just that little metal thing swinging along, you know? So Allie doesn't let me ever say anything like that ever again in our car, you know? But, but in our lives, if we're honest, we experience varying degrees of suffering. And I want to remind you of something. Tim Keller wrote an incredible book about suffering. And I want you to see this quote. And I want you to hear these words as we prepare our hearts to study God's word together. That, that Tim 
mentions this when it comes to suffering and the uniqueness of Christianity. And, and I want to just remind you, like the world that we live in has a lot of different views on suffering. Fatalism, which is common in our culture today, teaches that suffering is life. You hear the phrase, different versions of this, but junk happens, right? Uh, obviously, I'm cleaning that up. Like life is just rough and we just, it's just intended to be rough and just deal with it. Buddhism teaches that suffering is not real, that we can overcome suffering through enlightenment, meditation. The, the philosophy of the Eastern philosophy of karma teaches that suffering is fair. In fact, Job's accusers seem to carry with that tone, like, Job, you've made your bed, now sleep in it. Why are you whining about it? We know that you've done evil, and this is what happens. You get what you deserve. Secularism, which is so common today, teaches that suffering is purposeless. Everything is meaningless. In other words, your job is to survive or to give up amidst suffering. But Keller, in his wisdom, I, I love this, in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, I recommend it for those of you um, who like to read. I recommend this book. It's an encouraging one, those of you who are suffering. It says this, Christianity teaches that there is a purpose to suffering. And if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can ever Imagine Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who ended up giving his life in the days of Nazi Germany as a pastor, attempting to fight for the lives of those who were suffering underneath the, the nasty, evil Nazi rule. He echoed those same words. That's in the midst of suffering, they can, it can function like a hammer, a crucible, driving a nail in and allowing you and I to be people who depend on a God who knows our needs more than what we do. Isn't that incredible to think about? But what we have to be honest about this this morning is that it can also, and we've seen this happen, that the crucible of suffering has led people to give up on God. It has left them to, to find themselves pulled away from the God of the universe. And I just want to encourage you this morning, if that's your temptation, stop it. If that's what's happening in your life right now as you're going through the suffering and pain of life, I want to remind you this morning that there's a different way to live. And when it's described here by Tim Keller, this, this statement at the end that, that those who depend on the Lord, uh, in, in the words of Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, he said, he said, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, lean not unto your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will do what? He will direct your paths. That trusting in the Lord, that binding myself to the King of Kings who knows my circumstances, who cares about them, is what I hope for each and every one of you this morning. It's what I believe God's word teaches us. And today we're going to look at the life, uh, the, the testimony of one man. His name is Elihu. And for some of you are like, who is that? Well, he's a young man that shows up in the book of Job, and he's quite fascinating to me. He's actually an ancestor of Solomon, we believe, from the line of Abraham. And he is a man who gets five chapters in the book of Job. And some of you are like, Sean, you are not going to teach five chapters today. Oh, watch out. Here it comes, right? So, so in five chapters, we're going to look at these chapters. We're going to pick bits and pieces of it. Somebody came up afterwards and they were just saying how encouraged they were about what God is teaching them. I said, hey, take the time, study. There's so much more than what we just scratched the surface this morning. 
But this young man who you might not have ever heard of is going to be different than the other accusers of Job. He's going to be a man who reminds Job of something that I think is incredibly helpful. He's going to theologically remind Job about who God is and who God isn't. He's going to teach us the central point of this, past, this scripture this morning and in this sermon this morning. Then that is suffering can drive us deep and securely into the love of God. That's what he wants Job to do. He recognizes that there's some that were saying to Job, give up. Remember, we've, we've said there's others outside of Job's life who say, curse God and die. Give up. This is, this is a waste of time. But instead, what we get to see is this young man declaring to Job, hey, there's another way. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Job chapter 32. We'll begin with verse 1. It says this. It says, so these three men, now these are the accusers, the ones that often in art get displayed as Job's air quotes friends. These three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Hey, I, have a, I have a quick encouragement for you. If you, what they chose to do in this time period is they've been declaring to Job, Job, you're suffering because it's obvious that you're getting what you deserve. Job, you're suffering because you've got secret sins. Job, you're suffering because obviously, and they, they made stuff up, remember? And, and what, what they ultimately do is they get so exasperated that they stop talking to him. You see it in the text? So they cease to answer Job. Hey, if you care about relationships in your life, if you care about seeing relationships heal, I just want to encourage, this is a lousy strategy to lead towards healed relationships. See it happening all the time. People say, well, I'm just going to stop interacting with them. Job's friends did a lousy thing. In fact, this young man comes into the text and we see him in verse, in verse um, two. He says, then Elihu uh, whose name literally means he is my God. That's what he's going to keep doing. He's going to keep drawing Job's attention to God. He is my God, the son of Bereshel, the Buzite of the family of Ram. He burned with anger. And, and here's why. He, he burns with anger because there's a theological thing that's happening here. There's also some, some malpractice that's happening with these friends. They're getting the friendship thing wrong. And, and his words are going to echo what God's later going to say to Job. He burned with anger with Job because he tried to justify himself rather than God. By the way, only God can justify us. That he burned with anger also at Job's three friends because they had found no answer. You understand that's what they're trying to do. And let's stop here for a second. 50 different times in the book of Job, the question comes up, why are we suffering? Why? This is the question that so many of us want to ask. And did you see what it, the text says here? Is they found no reason why. But let's remember, we know the rest of the story, right? That God is good. God is still faithful. God's going to restore Job. And so here in the midst of his suffering, he just knows a portion of the story. Job's friends, we don't know why he's going through this. And they found no answer as to why. Although they declared Job to be the, in the wrong. This declared, this legal statement, you are declared unrighteous. It's absolutely the opposite of what God's going to do on behalf of those who put their faith and trust in him, declaring them righteous. 
So this young man looks at this and he recognizes this suffering of Job and he prays that Job would allow God's suffer, the suffering that he's going through to draw him into trusting the Lord. I believe, brothers and sisters, that the unwise sufferer allows the pain and circumstances of their life to pull them away from the God that wants to help them through the journey of life. Leads me to the first point this morning. And that is the wise sufferer. We're going to focus in on what it looks like to get this right. The wise sufferer desperately depends on God to lead them through life's circumstances. No one said that this was going to be easy. If they're doing that, they're probably trying to sell you something, right? No one said that this was going to be easy. And in our circumstances, what we see in chapter 32, if you glance through each of these verses, is this young man says, I know you guys are older than me. I, I can't ignore, though, your false description of the God of the universe. I can't ignore it anymore. So he doesn't use accusatory words like Job's friends did, but instead what he chooses to do is to point to God's authority in his life. Chapter 32, verse 8. This is where he finds his authority. And by the way, said it last week, I'll keep saying it. This is where I believe anybody who stands up and attempts to claim spiritual authority, this is the only place that they find their authority in. It's in the truth of God's word. In this case, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and here is what he says. He says, but it is the spirit in man, the breath of the almighty that makes him understand. Later in chapter 33, verse one, he says this, but now hear my speech, O Job, and listen to all my words. Behold, I open my mouth, the tongue in my mouth speaks. My words declare the uprightness of my heart and what my lips know, they speak with sincerity. Verse four, the spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. You remember what I said before about the hammer, is that what this young man is saying, is he's saying, I want to be connected to the God of the universe in the midst of my suffering. Job, this is how you survive suffering, is that you claim to be dependent upon the God of the universe. So the wise sufferer knows that they can't get through life on their own. Hey, by the way, if you haven't figured that out, you need to. If you're trying to knuckle down, to do things, the, just suffer, get through it. I'm going to make it through, try hard. We, we're good at that in Northeast Ohio, aren't we? Let's be honest. We, we are hard, rugged people. Part of what God's asking of us to do is to trust him in the midst of our suffering. To accept that we've come to the end of our capacity to be in control. And what I appreciate so much is the wise sufferer trusts in a God who's trustworthy and they commit themselves to take God at his word. Are you doing that in your life right now? What voices are you listening to? Who are, who are you claiming as authorities in your life? I hope and pray that you use God's word as the standard in your life. Later in chapter 33, verse 6, he says this, Behold, I am towards God as you are. I too was pinched off from a piece of clay. Here, here's what he's going to say, by the way. It's kind of weird language, but he's going to say, Job, you and I are made of broken pottery. Or actually, we're, we're fragile pottery, and we live in a world that's full of rough edges, right? Like we're, we're both just, we're, we're, we're fragile, and the world that's around us is difficult. Verse 7, it says, Behold, no fear of me need terrify you. 
My pressure will not be heavy upon you. Surely you have spoken in my ears and I have heard the sound of your words. This young man, Elihu, is saying, I'm listening to you. I've listened to your suffering. And, and by the way, later he's going to say, and God is really aware of your suffering. I hope that that's encouraging to you. I think that suffering is complicated. If I visit you in the hospital and you say, Sean, I have so much pain in my head. I have this headache that's terrible. Most of the time I'm looking at you on the outside and I'm going, I believe you, but I can't see it, right? So our ability to really empathize with someone else's suffering is always limited, right? But what God's ability to do with us, because he knows the numbers of the hairs on it, he knows us perfectly, is that he's able to understand perfectly our suffering. Now, this young man is saying to Job, I get it. We're, we're both broken people. We, we suffer. We suffer together. And yet, in the midst of this, what we understand, and this is so important, is that he's going to say to Job something that Job needed to be reminded of. And, and before I go much further, the, this is a little bit of a controversial take on this young man. Uh, in some of your Bibles, they may say, yeah, he's a lot like the other accusers. He, he's similar. But I want to remind you of three things that were different about this young man's encouragement to Job that we see in the text. The first one is that, that in the context of his counsel to Job, that, um, that God later on is going to rebuke the other three friends, but he is not going to rebuke this young man. So by name, he rebukes the other three friends. Also, the pattern of Job is often the friends accuse him, and then what we see is chapters of Job going, hey guys, you don't understand what you're talking about. And, and in this context, after this, this encouragement that, that Elihu gives him, there's none of that. There's no defense for it. And in fact, I think what we see is that he actually takes these words to heart. And theologically, there's going to be something that he's communicating that is quite profound from an Old Testament perspective. He's going to communicate to Job. I already said it. I read the verse. But he's going to communicate to Job. Hey, Job, there is no way that a human being can justify themselves. The term justify is a legal term. It means legally um, purged of all, all uh, accounts uh, on a person's account. They're, that you've been set for, you've been declared righteous. You've been justified legally. You've been forgiven and set free. And here, this context, what we see is that he's saying to Job, Job, there's no way for you to do that on your own. There's no capacity for you to earn your salvation. We see this in chapter 33, verse 9. You say, Job, I am pure. I am without transgression. Now, now some of you are going, wait a second. At the beginning of the book, God said that, that Job was righteous. But God never said that Job was perfect. In fact, what we know from God's word is every single human being, other than the Lord Jesus Christ, has sinned. We're told in God's word that our righteousness is like filthy rags. Then Romans, we're told, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I mean, that shouldn't be offensive to you. Uh, it's just true, right? And so he's saying back to him, Job, you, you say I'm without transgression. I am clean and there's no iniquity in me. Behold, he finds occasions against me. So in other words, God, this is not fair. That's what Job's saying. And yet what the young man says is um, that God is not counting you as his enemy. Behold, in this you are not right. 
and I will answer you, for God is greater than man. Why do you contend against him, saying, he will answer none of man's words? For God speaks in one way, and in two, and in three, and man does not perceive it. Earlier in chapter 32, verse 2, it says, Job justified himself rather than God. I want to just remind you that we cannot justify ourselves. I use this illustration all the time because it's the, the way I picture this is that if we were at the Grand Canyon on the side, I'm sure most of you could jump further than me. But if we went to the edge of the Grand Canyon, how many of you have been there? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? So we go to the edge of the Grand Canyon and you with your big, serious, well-trained long jump go with me and we hit the edge and we jump as far as we can. You might make it two feet further than me, but we're both going to not make it, right? And this is God's description of our righteousness that we cannot do it without his provision for us. But praise the Lord, he's given us the provision of his son, right? That he has been able to declare us righteous through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So our righteousness falls short for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? For the wages of sin is what? It is death, right? But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So, so this young man is saying, hey, I know that you've, you, you've been falsely accused. I know that they, these, these accusers don't understand. But just remember, none of us are righteous. There's only one person that's righteous. That's the God of the universe. I, I want to illustrate it this way. I'm sorry for this illustration, but it, um, I'll just tell it anyway. So my, my, my wife and I, we were with some wonderful friends for breakfast uh, in Southern California. And as we finished up our breakfast, they both started giggling. And they said, we have to tell you this story of our experience when we went over to some other friends. So this did not happen to us personally, thank goodness. They said that they went over to another friend's house for brunch and they served them some wonderful pancakes and it was was delightful. And um, at the end of the time that they had eaten together, the friends looked at them and they said, so how'd you like the pancakes? I'm like, yeah, they were good. Uh, and they said, well, uh, we're glad you liked them because we, we had some milk, but we ran out of milk. And while we were making the pancakes, uh, we just decided that uh, instead of running to the grocery store, we'd use some of my wife's leftover breast milk. Um, and so, yeah, some of you are like, that's just wrong on so many levels. I think if they said that to me and I was drinking orange juice, I would have just, you know, right? Like, it's like, it's just totally wrong, right? Now, now, some of you hear that story and you're like, you know, well, you might not have gotten the, the pancake that had some, it could have had the room. It doesn't matter, right? Like, you, like that's just gross, right? When, when we think of illustrations of the understanding of our sin, part of the whole like why thing is because many of us, we just look around and let's just be frank. Like many of us look around and we're like, I am not nearly as bad as that guy, right? I haven't done what they've done. And that person, let's just use the, the, the heavy language, that person may deserve a lot more than I do. I've been pretty good. And if we had the chalkboard or the scales, I love this rock image in the background. I really believe that when it boils down to it, most of us have some kind of weird philosophy that as long as the good side measures up, as long as the good stuff that I've done in my life measures up with the bad stuff, then God's going to go, oh, way to go. Let's go. You know, come on into. Just a reminder to you, it doesn't take much sin to separate us from the love of the perfect God of the universe. Do you understand this? His perfection, he is holy. He's set apart. He's 
perfect. He's righteous. There's nothing about him that is filled with sin. And so in order for us to to be able to dwell together with him for eternity, we need to be purified through the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's why the language of the atonement is that we're bought with a price and that we're clothed in the very righteousness of Christ. As we celebrate Easter together, we're celebrating the fact that his death means that I get to look forward to eternity in the presence of God because of the death that he gave that made it possible for me to be forgiven and for me to be set free. So, so when we talk about righteousness, if a person stands back and they say, you know, I'm better than other people, or I haven't gotten what I deserved, or we, we have to accept that they're just misunderstanding God's grace, right? And so the accusation is he thinks he can justify himself. Nobody can do that. Uh, do, do I need to argue that anymore? Do we understand that, right? We get that, right? We cannot justify ourselves. So th- this young man looks at Job and he says, there's no way that you can justify yourself. Chapter 33, verse 9. He, I'll read this again. He says, you say, I am pure without transgression. I am clean. There's no iniquity in me. Behold, he finds occasions against me. He counts me as his enemy. And I just want to remind you that, that, that what Job is, is being taught here is that no, every single person is unrighteous compared to the righteousness of God. The unrise sufferer, just remind you, gives up on God. They, they find themselves pulled away from his loving presence. They, they choose to, to be angry. They curse God and die, whether that's physically or whether that's through their mental mindset. And I just want to remind you, the second point this morning is the wise sufferer knows that God is still working in and through us even when it doesn't feel like it. The wise sufferer knows that God is still at work, even when it doesn't feel like it. I I just want to remind you, God's not ignorant of your suffering. Uh, I am. I'll be first to say it. There's there's probably 500 people that are joining us in the service today in different places. And, And in your story, each one of you, it's different. You've got different experiences, different frustrations, different fears. But the God of the universe knows yours. He knows it so intimately. Listen to God's knowledge of Job's suffering. Verse, chapter 33, verse 19, he says, Man is also rebuked with pain on his bed and with continual strife in his bones, so that his life loathes bread, loathes bread, and his appetite, the choicest food, his flesh is so wasted away that he cannot be seen, and his bones that were not, uh, were not seen stick out. His soul draws near to the pit, and his life to those who bring death. If you've been tracking with us through the study of Job, this is another description of Job's suffering. And I, and I just want to remind you, I want to encourage you. God knows your suffering. He knows what you're going through. He's aware of the reality of the pain that you're going through. And I, and I know that that might sound strange because some of you go, yeah, if he knows about it, why doesn't he fix it, right? But, but I want to remind you that he's, understanding it, and he's at work still in your life, and you don't know the rest of the story. It goes on to say in Job chapter 33, verse 26, it says this, then man prays to God, and God accepts him. He sees his face with a shout of joy, and he restores to man his righteousness. He says, I sinned, and I perverted what was right, and it was not repaid to me. This is theologically super profound for the Old Testament. 
Do you understand what he's saying here? He's counseling him to say, hey, stop feeling like you're righteous yourself, but understand that you need to be forgiven by the God of the universe, that you need to cry out to him to be the source of your forgiveness. And hey, by the way, he's redeemed your soul. The way it's worded in in uh, verse 27, you know what it's saying there? Is he saying, thank the Lord he has not given me what I deserve. Can I say that again? Praise the Lord that he has not given me what I deserve. So, so what we can't have is we can't have it both ways. Some of us stand back and we say, God, you've been unfair to me. You've been unkind to me. You haven't cared for my needs. And yet elsewhere we say, Lord, I need you because I'm broken and I'm desperate and I need your help. So, so in the context of this, we find ourselves saying these words, I've sinned, I've perverted what's right, and I thank you that you haven't given me what I deserve. Boy, I just, I'll just tell you, I can say those words confidently. Lord, thank you for not giving me what I deserve. Verse 28, he has redeemed my soul from going down into the pit, and my life shall look upon the light. Behold, God does all these things Twice, three times with a man. Uh, this is the second time we've seen that in the verses that I've read today. And I just want to remind you, God's grace is constant. He's sharing it. He's telling us this truth over and over again. He wants to reinforce this. It's over and over again. Get this right to bring back his soul from the pit that he may be lighted with the light of life. That's a great passage of scripture. It reminds us of God's grace that is sufficient for us, that his power is made perfect in our weakness. And philosophically, Job is saying in this context, something that's really important. If you get a chance to read the rest of chapter 33 and into 34, Job's going to say this, this question that I think is really common today. And that is, if I sin, uh, I still suffer. If I don't sin, I still suffer. And that's one of Job's theological questions to God. So, so why wouldn't I just live it up? Why don't I eat, drink, and be merry? For tomorrow I may die, right? And, and his response back to him is quite profound, especially in chapter 34, 6 through 35. He, he, he basically teaches, contrary to our, our popular belief, God is not ignorant of our sin. In fact, his way is always the best way to live our lives. God is slow to anger, abounding in love. That's difficult for some of us because when we sin, we often think about the fact that, hey, I did this thing that goes against the character of God and I didn't get instantly punished for it. I didn't get the lightning bolt experience. And so maybe God doesn't care about it or maybe there's no consequences for it. Maybe it doesn't really matter. In fact, Job goes so far to say, wait a second, my enemies, the unrighteous, they end up, unfortunately, seeming to succeed way more than what I am. And I'm trying to be righteous. This doesn't seem, what's the right word that he keeps saying? It doesn't seem fair, right? And I just want to remind you, just because God is slow to anger, just because he doesn't hold us accountable to our sins instantly, does not mean that there's not consequences for the decisions that we make. That he is gracious to us doesn't it shouldn't push us away from the God of the universe as he rebukes Job's accusers as liars and for attempting to pull them away from trusting, Job away from trusting God. One of the things that this Elihu does is that he, he encourages Job to understand that it's God's righteousness that's the source of his hope. And I, when I read this, I'll just be frank with you. 
that, that there's these things that he says that are really frightening to me, especially as a pastor, that, that he says these things. He says basically to them, hey, you accusers, you are, you're putting yourselves as a stumbling block before Job. You're drawing him away from God. And I'll just tell you, when it comes to my own convictions and the privilege of, of being a leader in this church, that the idea that Jesus taught the disciples, I can just picture them. There's this wonderful uh, remnant of a millstone factory that's right on the Sea of Galilee. I've stepped on this, this ground, and I can just picture the Lord Jesus walking with the disciples as he's teaching them to be his leaders. And he says to them, guys, it would be better to have a millstone tied around your neck and tossed to the depths of the sea than it cost one of the least of my children to stumble. That's frightening to me, to be honest. It's convicting to me, especially for those who've gone before me that have claimed the name of pastor or leader or standing before, for, for those of us who try to lead, that there's a conviction that's associated with this. And, and Job's, Job's true friend, Elihu, says it like this. He says in chapter 35, verse one, he answers and he says, do you think this to be just? Do you say it is my right before God that you ask what advantage have I? How am I better off than if I had sinned? Like he's saying to him, stop it. Don't justify your sin. Don't, don't rationalize this. In fact, over chapter 35, 16 through 36, 21, you should read it. He says, basically, you can live for pleasure. People do it all the time, and you can die by it. You can live by the sword, and you can die by it. Or you can be strengthened by God, and you can thrive. I think that's the essence of this message today. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. So the unwise sufferer forgets that God is faithful amidst their pain. It leads us to the third point this morning. The wise sufferer remembers that God is awesome, even when our lives are not. That they understand the fact that God is faithful, even when we don't see the evidence of his faithfulness. Chapter 36, verse 20, 22 says this, Behold, God is exalted in his power. Who is a teacher like him? And then a few verses later, it says, Remember to extol his works, of which men have sung. All mankind has looked on it. Man beholds it from afar. Behold, God is great, and we know him not. The number of his years is unsearchable. In other words, his ways are higher than my ways. I love this description, uh, the, the picture in the background of a man at a crossroads. Uh, and, I, and I think of this description of God being our teacher. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when he says, come to me when you're weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And what's he say? And learn from me, right? And here, in the, as many of us are in crossroads in our lives, who am I going to trust? What am I going to trust? What, how am I going to respond to the circumstances of my life? I think that the, the, the one pathway that's ahead is that we, we find ourselves just diving deeper into trusting the God of the universe. That's what I pray for each one of us. But, but for others of us, we recognize that we can find ourselves running, pulling away from the God that knows our needs more than what we do. And here he says, behold, God is exalted in his power. Who is a teacher like him? Remember to extol his work of which men have sung. All mankind has looked on it. 
Man beholds it from afar. Behold, God is great, and we know him not. The number of his years are unsearchable. This, this statement, you, you could actually say a lot of this is kind of distilled in the book of Romans, the theology of Romans. quite profound how theological this section is of the Old Testament. But, but it can be distilled in our ability to understand that, that it is God's loving kindness that leads us to repentance as it's described in Romans chapter 2. That that it's God's goodness that leads us to change our lives. It's God's goodness that allows us to be people that respond to him. So we don't live in sin. We We don't find ourselves defined by our sin. That's so common these days. And I just love the intimacy of these next three passages out of 37. Chapter 1, 37, uh, verse 1, verse 5, and verse 14. Uh, I love this. It, in the context, it's talking about the power and the might and the authority of God and his grandeur. And in the next few chapters, we're going to see God actually telling Job, like, hey, buddy, were you there when I created the universe? Were you there when I when I did all of the details of creation, and, and it's kind of divine sarcasm, believe it or not, but he's humbling Job. But here we see this in 37 verse 1. It is, at this also my heart trembles and leaps out of its place. Keep listening to the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. Be in awe of God. 37.5, God thunders wondrously. With his voice, he does great things that we cannot comprehend. His indescribable goodness. 37, 14. Hear this, O Job. Stop and consider the wondrous works of God. Aren't those great passages? Can you do that with me right now? Just, Just be in awe of the goodness of God. I think that for some of us, that's difficult. And part of the reason why that's difficult for us, I had this experience when I was a teenager, missionary church camp in Ludlow Falls, Ohio. My grandparents on both sides had a little cabin in this missionary camp, and we attended it each year. And I'm with my parents, and I was at a youth event in the old like sawdust-floored chapel. Some of you have been in places like this before. But the speaker, I will never forget what he taught on that day. Where um, in, the, in the teaching, he basically asked us, so, so in your life, you're struggling. You have difficult experiences. And, and I remember he, he asked us to think about what those things were. And I've shared with you, I had a football injury that was really frustrating to me. Um, there were some other things, relational things that were difficult in my life. And, and he just asked a question that I'm going to ask to each one of you this morning. And he, he said, so, okay, those are real, but do you think really that God isn't big enough to handle that? Like that was the question. And then he offered for us to come forward and to be prayed over and just to, and I remember as I walked forward that day, I remember the thought that went through my mind was, yeah, like I really believe in my heart that God isn't big enough to handle the circumstances of my life. In fact, I want to keep trying to be the person Who's, who's in charge of the circumstances of my life. And by the way, that's crushing, right? It, 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 you're not strong enough to do it. I don't, I don't care how strong you are. And so that day, for me, it was a moment for me where when J.B. Phillips says, your God is too small in the title of his book, I, I, just, remember, I just realized, like as I walked forward that day, like, hey, I, I was thinking about my God as not being able to handle the circumstances of my life. These verses 
are encouraging to us to remind us, hey, your God's a lot bigger than what you think he is. He's he's more authoritative, he's more powerful, he knows you more perfectly, and he's good. Praise the Lord for that, right? And, And that what we can do is we can choose to trust him. So he's not moved in the midst of your suffering. He's stayed constant and consistent. The question for you is, who are you going to put your trust in? And for some of us, it's, it's still a try harder thing. And the try harder thing still makes us stand back. And the evidence and the fruit of that is us crying out and saying, this isn't fair and I'm not getting what I want. Or, or it's ignor- ignoring God altogether. Or it's, it's choosing to deny the reality of our circumstances. No, I, I think he's completely aware of your suffering. He's not telling you ignore them. He's saying, come to me. He's saying, trust me. He's saying, allow this to be something that drives you closer to me. So trust me with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge me and I will direct your paths. Can you pray that prayer? Can you, can you declare that in your own life? I'll, I'll, be, I'll be blunt on this. Like You can't do both at the same time. You can't be in control yourself and asking God to be in control of your circumstances. And for me, that was a part of what it meant for me to say, all right, I'm, I'm tired of trying to be the one who's in control. That decision changed my life. Lord, I'm going to trust you. You're big enough to handle the circumstances of my life. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer. Lord, I, you know, it's kind of funny when you tell a story of your own past that was so meaningful. I don't think I can capture in words the emotion or the intimacy of that moment at uh, Winona Lake in Ludlow Falls so many years ago in my life. But I thank you, Lord, that you simply just reminded me of who you were through the mouths of that speaker. And I pray for each one of us today that this message from Elihu, who declares to Job, hey, Job, God's grace is sufficient for you. Hey, Job, God loves you. Hey, Job, there's a way to be right before God, and it partially requires us to just be transparent and honest about who we are. Hey, Job, God God doesn't want to give us a pass to to destroy our own lives or to hurt ourselves, but instead he says his his ways are higher than ours. He, He has a pathway that's good for us, that we can trust him. And I just pray for each one of us. I don't know where the audience is this morning when it comes to their own stories, their own experience, their own encounter with you. But I just want to pray. I've had so many people through this Job series who've reached out to me and have said, I I think it's time for me to trust God with my life. I think it's time for me to trust him to be responsible for my circumstances. And I just pray that you do that again, Lord. Pray that as we sing this closing song, that it wouldn't just be words on a screen, but it would be the cry of our heart. We love you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.